Recording now. Recording. Recording. Zoom recording now. Recording in progress. Oh my gosh. That is such a creeper. (laughs) That one always freaks me out. Uh, It's Friday. It's Friday. And you know what that means. We're giving you a roundup of this week's news. It's been a week. Temperatures have kind of come down, but the shenanigans in our city are up. So today on CityCast Las Vegas, I am here with lead producer Sonia Cho Swanson and my fellow host David Figler. That's right. Both of us at the same time. You're welcome. Double host action. (laughs) Bah, bah, bah. It's Friday, August 5th, 2022. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Because I need to be the sound. (laughs) So, So, David, tell us about your morning. How'd your morning been? (laughs) <laughs> well, you picked a good morning to ask because I, I woke up uh, cranky. I turned over to my partner, to my spouse, and I said, who's the same person? And I said, I'm angry at the city today. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, have, I have at least three things that I'm angry about. And so, you know, she humors me and she's like, all right, start listing them. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm angry at what's going on in the arts district with these, these showgirls. And I'm angry at the county for, uh, you know, putting these new barriers on people to be down there. And I'm angry at what's been going on with Siegel Suites and so many other things. And she's just like, hun, hun, just just go brush your teeth. We'll, we'll, we'll talk later. Let's make some coffee. How about you? How was it, How was your morning, Sonia? How was your morning, Vogue? <laughs> was it better? Right. I was like, Sonia, you want to go first? I mean, how do you feel? I like these three things that he's listed. And I feel like we should just get into these three things. So it's those. Yeah. The new show girls that are going to go up um, that are gigantic. Yeah. Uh, I read an article that was like, oh, you know, in Vegas, the rule is nothing is too big. And I'm just like, mm, yeah, they're 50 foot signs. <laughs> These are 50-foot signs. I mean, that's like a building, right? Right. A building-sized... Well, and not even signs. They're like... I guess they're signs, but they're also... Yeah, what are they exactly? So... Okay, so they're designed by Yesco, which I'm really familiar with Yesco. They're the Young Electric Sign Company. So I know a couple of artists who really got their careers going as a result of working for Yesco, but they are an electric sign company. So they're... Signs slash technically public art, if you will. I think that's the budgetary funds that are being spent. Okay. Okay. Are public art funds. Yeah, but they're replacing the 25 foot tall showgirls and we're getting double the size. And I guess they're being added to like the welcome gateway near downtown. So the idea is that they're going to be the figures that welcome people, visitors, and locals to our downtown. I don't know. How are you guys feeling about it? So I live around the corner from this. So I see it all the time. So there is a display that's up right now that is near the Strasfer Hotel. The feature piece of it is these these 25-foot representations of the, I guess, the classic showgirl. And that's been there for a little while now. 
Um, I always thought it was not particularly innovative. It looks to me like clip art. I, and, and if you look up showgirl clip art, it's almost exactly oh, the same no. thing. Oh. So I don't, I don't think that they put it out as a call for artists. I don't think that they, if, if uh, Yesco, who are storied, are the ones who are, are fabricating it, I don't know that a lot of thought was put into it other than just kind of replicate this clip art. Let's do it again, but bigger. Yeah. You know, what if you were to actually request proposals from artists to represent what welcoming to the arts district should look like. As a lot of people have pointed out, my very good friend and the writer Jeff Carter, who writes for the Las Vegas Weekly, pointed out, there really is no connection of showgirls per se and the downtown Las Vegas area, let alone the arts district, Mm -hmm. other than this sort of nostalgic throwback that starts from our former mayor, Oscar Goodman, walking around with women festooned like showgirls, right? So it's just this complicated connection. But I guess it made me mad because it's like, here are public funds being presented for what's ostensibly an arty project that's not really arty at all to welcome people to an arts district that may or may not be an arts district, but this certainly doesn't uh, solidify the idea of it being arts on any level, does that make sense, Vogue? Yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from, and, and I uh, definitely... that's where anger comes from. It muddles thoughts, but I just know <laughs> that I think that they're they're not very innovative. They look like clip art, and I don't know. As as women, what do you think about the image that they produce to like visitors to this area? I, I mean, they're they're kind of <laughs> me and so, oh, Sonia and I are making it. the same face. Sonia, okay, <laughs> come on. Come on, fellow Pisces, boo. Yes. <laughs> Tell me what you're thinking. We both kind of just like pressed our lips together and rolled our eyes a little bit. Like, mm, okay. Yeah, no, they're definitely caricatures of female figures. I mean, those tiny little pencil waists, you know, it's just like that hourglass figure. I mean, even when you see the showgirls of yore, like in their the photos and the videos, I mean, they're slim and they're trim, but this is an exaggerated caricatured figure. And, you know, I would have hoped that we would have moved beyond this kind of depiction of women's bodies. In, in this day and age. Yeah. And I wonder, is this is this really a welcome? Is this perpetuating the stereotype of what our city has to offer? And are these the correct locations to even put those statues? So I think mm. like if you were going to put them closer to the Strip or near the welcome to the Las Vegas sign or in a museum where it belongs, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> those are all places I would be fine with. But to put them at the edge of the arts district, to make them double the size doesn't make any sense to me. And and I'm always a proponent of public art. And I, I love when work is designed and beautiful. The little plumage actually does look cool. But at the end of the day, it's who is this for? Mm. Who, who are we serving? That brings us to the next subject as well, which is about the stay away order, basically. What is the actual term for it? Let me be correct. Yeah, it's a stay away order. Yeah. It's I was a like, stay it's away a stay away order. order. Yes. So on Tuesday, the Clark County Commission approved unanimously. So everybody in all the commissioners voted on Tuesday and said, yes, let's expand our order out corridor ordinance. So it has stay out zones that uh, that used to only apply for people who had been convicted of prostitution and drug-related activities. So those were the two major activities that, like, okay, look, you can't come back to the strip anymore. You're out here doing this. Now it's expanded to all crimes. So I'm like, is this jaywalking? Is this um, 
littering? <laughs> like, which crimes are we talking about? But it's saying that specific corridors on the strip are the areas that people cannot come to if they've been convicted of crimes. And they could also face a misdemeanor arrest for violating this rule. Sonia, what are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, Sonia, what do you think about that? And then I'm going to lay down some, like, legal history. Great. But I'd rather, I rather you talk about it first. I just have a bunch of questions, which is, like, how are they going to know which people have are convicted, quote unquote, convicted criminals. There's just so many people on the strip at any given moment now. I feel like they just have been given so much. They've been given so much more opportunity now to stop people on the strip. And it's just like this extra pretext. I would be so surprised if they actually ID'd every single person. Like they're yeah. not going to ID every single person as they come into onto the strip. No. So is this a realistic ordinance in the first place? Exactly. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to get into it. I got to jump into it. So for decades, there has been this concept that the police feel that there are a handful of people who keep showing up in the same areas and are causing problems and that it causes them all this extra work. So if there was only a way to make it unlawful for them to even be in the area and then arrest them on site so they don't have to worry about, you know, investigating a new crime or something like that, that would be better for them. So this idea was floated, and I, I think it really started in the city and around Fremont Street. And that's where I first saw it, where you know they would have people who were mostly repeat offenders committing small misdemeanor offenses, whatever it would be, and say, look, y'all, if you want to not be in jail, you have to agree that you will stay out of this area. And I, as the judge, have this power to order you out. And I'm going to make you sign this contract that says that you will not be in this area, which would generally be Fremont Street. That was kind of an unofficial policy for a while. The county saw that and they're like, oh, you know, Metro, do you want us to do that on the strip too? And they're like, yes, do that. And so kind of under the cover, they did it, but they just limited it to people who were convicted of drug offenses and prostitution offenses. But it's basically the opportunity for a judge to say, okay, I'm going to order this on your particular case. So it's almost like you've got this scarlet order out on you at all times. So it's not everyone who's convicted of prostitution or everyone who's convicted of a drug offense, but it's those cases where the judge has ordered you out and you've agreed to the order out. Now Metro's like, well, we want to do that with everybody. And so they expanded it and the county commission let it fly so that anyone who's convicted of any crime, including jaywalking, including buskers, including people selling water, Bro. you know, whatever it is, no. that if they go into the system, the judge now has ostensibly the legal authority to say, okay, here's how we're going to resolve your case. And as part of that, I'm following the new county ordinance, you are ordered out of this area for a year. And if you are found in this area, then you will be arrested just for being there. Okay, see, that was my question. Is there are, are there parameters like is there a, a statute of limitations on this? Is it your band henceforth for forevermore or is it a right. year at a time? For, so it's for a year at a time. Okay. So that's legal history. Sorry if it went long, but yeah, that's kind of where it's at. But it is infuriating that, you know, they're just trying to make policing against certain people. And I'll just leave it like that so much easier that they don't have to actually commit a crime. They just have to commit the crime of being in the place that, the casinos and the police don't want them to be. Right. I'm just thinking about how the deck is stacked against people who have been through our 
carceral system is and just how much more that adds to that burden. I mean, imagine if somebody was trying to get a job on the strip, right? And they have a conviction on their record. Like, does that does that prevent them from going to the strip? Yeah, to speak to that, what I did see in the, the Review Journal article was that they said, okay, you can still go for work, worship, and transportation. Okay. But for me, that also feels messed up because it's, you can work here, but you can't relax here. Hmm. You can't enjoy the fruits of your labor. You can't ca- get any of the lovely discounts and perks of working for this company right. that might have been what incentivized you to come in. The article also talks about that this was in response to um, an increase of crime after people got their stimmies. So it's like people got their stimulus checks. Also, they had been, you know, indoors for a very long period of time. So they got in there and acted a, an entire fool, which is kind of <laughs> what we advertise that you're allowed to come do in our city. Yes. Yeah. So it feels like this is for your own good. Like that that's what the article was giving. That's the language that was being used. I'm just worried about it, it, it being abused. And so even if someone's like on the bus and they get off to make a transfer and they're like, no, I was on the bus. Well, you know, we're going to arrest you and you could sort that out with the judge. Like it gives an opportunity for police to engage with people who really aren't doing anything at the time. And, you know, on some level, I get why the police want their job to be easier. I get why the police want to be able to not have to hassle with, you know, stuff like investigating crimes or proving crimes against people that they see over and over again. But that's not America, man. So we'll see how it how it unfolds. But the county commission passed it unanimously. So they're obviously fine with making policing a little bit more convenient and maybe a little less mindful of civil liberties. Let's transition into housing uh, and a throwback to our lovely discussion with Kim Foster. As we say, WTF Siegel Suites. <laughs> WTF. Oh, my God. Take it away, Sonia. <laughs> so we've heard the rumblings from local journalists for months and months and years about the eviction practices of this corporate landlord, uh, the Siegel Group. They own a series of like local weeklies around town called Siegel Suites. And as we mentioned in our episode with Kim Foster, they have been under investigation from a House committee. And the House committee came out with the results last week. It revealed that Siegel Suites used these abusive tactics to get their tenants to leave, force them to leave during the pandemic, even as there was a moratorium. I'm looking now at Michael Lyle's article in the Nevada Current, and apparently there were at least 89 tenants who had pending rental assistance applications. They were in the process of applying for rental assistance, and they used these tactics to kick them out. And if you look at the emails that were revealed during the findings, it's kind of horrifying. They talk about, and I don't know if you saw this, but they were talking about replacing somebody's AC unit with a non-working unit. I think the executives at Siegel Suites knew how to manipulate the system. I mean, one of them wrote in an email when he suggested to a manager for how to get somebody out was to give this person the eviction notice on a Friday afternoon so that the law offices would be closed, the courts would be closed, any other sources of help that this person could go to would be closed for the weekend. Mm. They talk about like if this tenant has children in the home to actually call child protective services on the family, like all these 
underhanded tactics to pressure someone to like mm. leave if they weren't paying rent. You know, we, we're hearing about the attorney general looking into these practices. We're getting an announcement from the county that they're going to look in. So, okay. But I, I'm going to just say this. If you talk to people who live in some of these properties, you've heard about these practices and you've heard them being characterized as abusive for a while now. And I used to like watch eviction court just to see how it was going. And I would be aghast because the tenants would tell the judge, this is what they're doing. This is how I'm being threatened. And the judge would just blow it off and not care and really just focus on the task at hand. And I get that, but also like, I'm whistleblowing. Hello, you know, and the judge is like, yeah, yeah, but they followed this technicality and so you're out on the street. And that's what was happening a lot. And, and so I put a lot of the blame on this, uh, on the judicial system as well, because when they do use the judicial system for evictions, the laws here sort of favor the, the landlords in such a way that trying to work around the moratorium laws and work around the existing laws is a lot easier to do. But again, if you just listened to the tenants who were telling the judges, the police, you know, when they would come out, anyone who would listen, reporters, great reporters like Michael, that this was happening, this should have been investigated and explored a long time ago. And now here we are kind of after the fact. And what do you tell all those people who were evicted while the rent money was coming in? What do you tell all those people who now are in collections, even though it appears as though uh, places like Siegel Suite were paid with moratorium-related funds, PPP, and rent assistance, and waivers, and all that other stuff. I'm curious to see where it's going to go. I don't think the responses from the Siegel Group have really been satisfying to anyone. Sonia, you look like you got some, getting some more details on, on well, all the facts. Yeah. I was just thinking about, like, to echo your thoughts, David, why it took a House committee at the federal level investigating this for this to come to light. And I guess it was partly because of the particularly egregious nature of these evictions during the pandemic, right? And then that sort of like heightened, I guess, because they were receiving federal funds. Is that right, Vogue? That's what I'm looking at. Um, so it was they. Well, and it wasn't just Siegel Group. Also, apparently, Ventron. You're receiving millions of dollars in Paycheck Protection Program loans, and the records show that your company hasn't experienced very much revenue decline. Like. Mm, the math isn't quite mathing. And how is this possible when there's a moratorium? So I, I think they had to look more closely at it because they must have kicked out hella people. So it is a little complicated. So there was direct money that was coming from the federal government. There was also federal funds that were going to the state of Nevada and like the county and various nonprofits and stuff. And they need to put people in houses because during, you know, the pandemic, they wanted as many people sheltered as possible. And so a lot of those funds were going to Siegel Suites directly. And then also there was this idea of rental assistance and that money was going directly to landlords throughout the Valley. And, and there's people in the community who go, well, if you don't like it, don't live there. Well, th there aren't a lot of options sometimes. And, you know, we are, uh, sadly, at the top of the bad list when it comes to the availability of affordable housing before you even get to being homeless. You know, it's a rough city sometimes. And when we do rely on on this type of system and we see it blow up in these congressional reports, whose fault is it? I mean, can you put the full blame on the player versus the really ridiculous game? 
Yes, you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, yeah, you probably can. I, I get it. These I get it. Feelings. But I, I but I still think there's a bigger conversation that I don't want to have distracted mm-hmm. just because of the practices of one bad player, mm-hmm. allegedly bad player. But yeah, it's a mess out there. Oh, enough to make you angry in the morning. All right. Well, let's let's shift our serotonin levels since we've got we've got lots of anger in our system. So we think about how you get through your weekends, how you get through moments of, of deep anger and, and sadness, because they're I think they're they're cousins. They're definitely related. What do you do in town to kind of shift your serotonin levels? Uh, well, I can't do this yet. But I have a little piece of news I read on the Review Journal the other day from food writer Jonathan Wright. It looks like there is a bacon-themed restaurant opening this fall at the D. And I just find that fanciful and delightful. (laughs) I know that bacon is overdone. I know that we should all be probably eating a little bit less meat. I know that eating a diet of purely bacon is probably really terrible for our hearts. But it just feels like one of those flights of fancy of a restaurant. Um, I'm going to read you guys a few menu items. I would love to hear which of these you would want to order, okay? (laughs) All right. So bacon flights featuring different styles and flavors. B, boozy adult milkshakes like an Elvis version made with peanut butter whiskey and garnished with a miniature peanut butter bacon sandwich. Or C, a reverse BLT where woven bacon strips replace the bread. Pick your poison. Oh, that's literally poison. (laughs) Um, Well, as a Jew. Uh (laughs) Oh, no. No, David, I'm so sorry. Who who does eat bacon because I believe it's more vegetable than meat. It's all about the delusion. Uh, I do love me a BLT. That sounds interesting. I don't need a bacon flight. That's that's ridiculous. Uh, I vote final answer reverse BLT. Okay, vote word. Yeah, I definitely think I'm in the same boat. If I, uh, but I probably wouldn't need much of it. Like I would need it. I still need it wrapped in lettuce. Yeah, <laughs> and I would probably take like one to two bites and and be done because it's that sounds heavy. It makes me think of there used to be a bacon bar on Sahara. We used to drive past it all the time, but they were a bacon themed restaurant and they had bacon shakes. And I was just like, I just. I don't want to drink my bacon. <laughs> no, thank you. What are you going to order, Sonia, when you come to, uh, to yeah. eat when you I'm, visit that particular place? Okay, call me crazy, but I'm kind of curious about this milkshake. No. Yes. You're crazy. Uh, okay, you asked I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, you guys. Wish me luck. <laughs> I wish, I, I wish you luck, people. and I also extend apologies to our kosher friends, our Muslim friends, and our vegan and vegetarian yes, apologies. friends. Uh, yes, apologies. I'm, I'm going to an art opening this weekend. Ooh, which one? I'm going over to the Core Contemporary. Hey. I want to go check out that one. One of my friends and neighbors is in the show, Mark Hoffman, and I love his work. And I did see it in the newsletter. That's how I knew about Yay. it. Oh, I'm so excited about the City Cast Las Vegas newsletter every morning. It's going to be awesome. What about you, Vogue? Yeah, what are you doing to kind of wipe it away? This weekend, actually, I'm going out of town for once, but I'm going for a conference. I'm going to Denver for Margins, which is a literary conference for writers of color uh, and marginalized writers. So I think it's going to be awesome. I get to sit on a panel, and that's going to be beautiful. Um, But I think everybody else should, uh, you know, search their feelings in their life (laughs) and decide if it is time for them to have a pet because the Animal Foundation is waiving the fees, the adoption fees. So if you 
don't have your pandemic puppy yet, maybe now is the time. But definitely do your research and see what your animal needs, like what the animals need, how you should feed them and see if if getting a pet is right for you or just go visit the puppies and say hi. I'm sure there's probably cats, too, but I'm here for dogs. So, yeah. Holler at the Animal Foundation. Do it. All righty. Sonia and David, thank you for your input this morning. Thanks. This Thank was... you, Vogue. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to vent it. I, I feel better now. Now I'm going to go back to my love Las Vegas and embrace it part because I got all the all the yuck out. Yeah, exactly. I feel like a little communal rage, really just like it's a cleansing fire. For sure. I feel like yes, very... cleansing fire. <laughs> That's my T-shirt this week. Now all I hear, we just watched the movie and I'm like, all I hear is the ring of fire. <laughs> like burns, burns, burns. Okay. So, that is all for today on CityCast Las Vegas. Our producers this week were Sonia Cho Swanson, Layla Muhammad, and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are me, Vogue Robinson, and David Figler. Music <laughs> is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the new movie, The Southern Paiute People. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review and tell us what you love. And then tell a friend. Rate the show and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. I mean, what if you worship the volcano at the Mirage or the, well, which is going away soon, but you if would. you worship the fountains, you, the fountains right. at the Bellagio, does that count? I need to, what is, what yeah. is Guy Fieri's restaurant on the strip again? That's, oh, I don't know. That's my church. The, the, the church of hot yeah, sauce? What's that? The church of uh, <laughs> peace, love, and taco grease. You guys are too funny. Mm, yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>